0: Welcome to the Legendarium. Can you imagine Eddie Redmayne playing Patton? (laughs) No offense to Eddie Redmayne and to all of his fans. And to all the other beta male actors out there. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. Today is episode number something, 126, I think, of the (laughs) Legendarium podcast. Today we are discussing... Dauntless, right? Dauntless by Jack Dauntless. Campbell. Uh, I am Craig Hanks, your host, and over there, he's so ugly, I'm going to throw him in the stove in his own candy cottage. It's Todd Wente. Yes, but when I come out, I'll be nicely caramelized. Wait, you get the reference, though. <laughs> I <do. Okay. laughs> And he's new to the podcast, so he gets one free pass, and we'll insult him next time. It's Scott Taylor.
1: Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, wait a that.
0: minute. I didn't get a free pass. You know, ever. Well, you were actually on before the insult started, I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Todd, you've been doing this for quite a while. How old am I? You're old. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) You are old, man. Uh, Okay. So before we get to the book, I'll just remind everybody, patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can go and support the show. Uh, We really appreciate everybody's support. And I'll ask again at the end of the episode when you've been dazzled by our intellect and insight. uh, Now... Also, go to thelegendarympodcast.com. It's where you can check out our backlog. So if you haven't kept up with what we've been doing, go check out our series on Brandon Sanderson, the one we're doing right now on Robert Jordan. We've done Terry Brooks. We've done Tolkien. We've done all sorts of stuff. And you can see that backlog by category there on our website instead of uh, trying to search through the log numerically uh, in our regular feed. Uh, let's see what else. Facebook.com slash TheLegendarium, I think. What? Just search us on Facebook. You'll, You'll find, find us, us. there. You'll uh, find it's us. not Legendarium Media, though. Those guys, oh, they are just... Do we need to attack them? Thorns in my side. Yeah, anyway. Release uh, the ogres. But, uh, you know, we've really, uh, we've really enjoyed interacting with everybody on Facebook, especially. We do have a Twitter account, and I interact with a few of you there, and that's a ton of fun. But I'd say Facebook is where the meat of... The interaction comes in so far. Uh, now, Reddit has been an inter- interesting beast. Yeah. And I had somebody this morning uh, message us on Reddit and say, you guys really ought to have your own subreddit uh, devoted, devoted to the legendarium. So you can announce upcoming stuff and have discussions and whatnot, and you just, apparently there's a thing called cross-posting, and I don't understand what this is, and it's this whole thing. And so the reason I bring this up is because Reddit for our Sanderson episodes and our Robert Jordan episodes have, uh, what am I trying to say? Reddit has been awesome. Mm -hmm. I've loved the discussions we've had there. It's been very engaging. I really enjoy what we're doing there. Uh, But I don't really know Reddit enough to try to strike out on our own and make our own subreddit and do all that. So if there's anybody listening who uh wouldn't mind helping us out uh, if you think that it'd be worth your time and ours then uh, reach out and let's see if if that's something we should explore you can work the way that the rest of us do for insults <laughs> <laughs> yes it doesn't doesn't pay any of us very well to work on this podcast but I'll tell you what the the community is a ton of fun uh, what we're what we're building as far as a community is awesome and so uh, if there are any volunteers out there make yourselves known now let's talk dauntless by jack campbell this is a todd pick because it's it's our sci-fi series heroes of sci-fi series now this is to be a a hero of sci-fi this is a pretty recent one yes i did not look up the date of this book when it was published until i finished it uh it's kind of a game <laughs> it's a game i like to play every once in a while how where close were you I, I, I was way off were you really way off okay. Um, okay it's way newer than i thought it was very new and so it was published in 2006 uh by the pseudonymous jack campbell but uh, todd you've got a recap for us i do okay let's hear it all right oh real quick um i will say spoilers if you oh, haven't, yeah. if, if you, you haven't, haven't read, read the, the book, book, it's not a, it's not the kind of book where I worry that much. So if you haven't read the book yet, um, I wouldn't worry too much. You can go ahead and listen to the discussion. You'll still enjoy the book oh, yeah. because we're not going to be able to convey exactly what it does. Uh, and, and so half, it, no, I should say all the fun in this book is the journey not the destination yes
2: so it's not the it's not the 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 surprise reveals are not the biggest surprise nope at least not in this first one
0: and yeah and uh, so anyway i just wanted to throw that out there you can still listen if you haven't read the book but if you do care to read before you listen well now's your last chance there you go here we go all right sorry todd go ahead the pitch letter for this
2: book series might have gone something like this 30% Rip Van Winkle time travel, 30% the Battle of Midway, 15% slow-boil romance, and 15% economic manifesto, with all of it set in space. It sounds like a little bit of a mixed bag, and you heard right. It probably gives you a good idea of exactly what you're getting. Dauntless is the first book in the story of John Blackjack Geary, a mythic hero to some and a demonic villain to others. When his ship is destroyed in a minor skirmish, it becomes the spark that lights the powder keg of full-scale war, much of which he sleeps through thanks to a malfunctioning escape pod. He is found a hundred years later by his own people's fleet, which is on its way to a final armistice. But treachery and violence intervene, killing flag-level leadership and leaving Captain Black Jack to fulfill a promise, get the fleet home. But things have changed during the 100 years he has slept in suspended animation. Fleet operations are run by vote, discipline is lax, and tactics, once pivotal to fleet operations, have been lost in favor of mad charges, often conducted while invoking his very name, a strategy worthy of Black Jack himself. In his desperate attempt to make good on his promise, he learns that some in his command are working openly against him, while others do some more subtly. On his flagship, two of his most critical advisers... uh, appear to be seen as rivals for his affections, though neither they nor John himself seem able to admit it easily. In the midst of all of this, John makes a startling series of discoveries that appear to call into question not just the foundations of the war, but the very survival of the human race on both sides of the conflict. Mix it all with some of the most detailed and unique representations of space combat, and Dauntless, the opening book of a six-book cycle, became, at least for me,
0: a real page-turner. Nice. Thank you. Well done.
1: That was, that was really good. Thank you. So <laughs> so
0: let me, let me uh, just push back on one tiny little detail okay. in what you said, because I think this is really pivotal to the question of, is somebody going to enjoy this book? Sure. And that is, you said that these space battles are detailed. I would submit that they are quite the opposite. Okay. And that's the beauty of it. Because now and that I mean, it kind of depends on how we define detailed here. And we're gonna get to that. But uh but the idea here is this is somebody who has obviously I, I I don't know anything about the author's bio, and so I'm just taking shots here. This dude was in the Navy. Yes, he was. Uh, and has studied naval tactics and and has heard the way that naval battles are um are conducted over radio transmission he's heard that his whole life and that's what we're dealing with here this is so you don't zoom in on a certain ship only every once in a while he'll describe some ship kind of getting blown to pieces by something or other but it's not you're not zooming in to understand the human cost of what's going on this is a a uh, space battle on a macro level. Yeah, the when the reason that I use the term detailed,
2: especially especially in light of this, um, um, representations of space combat is because there are two things that drive this, and this goes back to a question that I always ask. Uh, well, you know what? Before I say anything about on uh, else on that, let me let me ask Scott, what do you think? You, what do you initially it, your initial thoughts on these? Well, We're going to come back to that space battle piece.
1: I can understand what Craig's saying. I mean. Uh, it almost puts you in the position of when you watch the Battle of Midway, the movie, the generals all around that big table and they're moving ships across with the little pushers yeah. or Star Wars where they have that big thing and they're all looking at the... It, it gives you a perspective of you're standing in that room even though it's told from the perspective of the people who are actually in the ships. It's more like you take a macro view and you look at the battle. This this ship goes here and he's and he sees it all in his mind and so he... he Executes his plan in space, but I think that's kind of what you're talking about, Craig. Is that sort of a you know you take a look from away from the action, as it were?
0: Yeah, and it's just so different, I think, from how uh, you know in at in the Legendary Podcast we're so steeped in fantasy literature, yes. and the modern fantasy landscape dictates that yeah, you want to know what's going on in the battle at large, but the author assumes, and probably rightly so, that the reader is going to find it much more interesting. So take take the Stormlight Archives, for instance. We don't really care what's going on in the battle overall, uh, only insofar as it uh, affects Kaladin, right. and what's happening to him at that moment, or whoever, you know, what whatever the case may be. Uh, so we want to zoom in, and we want to see the human emotion from a single individual uh, going through that at that time, right. in real time, right? And this is totally the opposite. This of that. is
2: this is very different.
0: Um, and,
2: and and as I said, this is one of the one of the pieces that I uh, when I when I first encountered it. I and and as far as a little bit of background, I, here I am. I'm doing what Ken does. I need to use my words, don't I? <laughs> um, when I first came across this book, I was I was looking for a light, easy read on a on a business trip. Uh, Whoops! <laughs> like I said, it became a page turner. Midway through my business trip, I had finished it and needed to buy the second book. Um, but uh, the the thing that caught me and that finally held me was the representation of the space conflict. One of the issues that I have had with space conflict since I had since I was old enough to uh, enjoy Newtonian physics relativism <laughs> relativism. Oh, that's not um, Newtonian, though. I guess. Well, that's it, it's it's derived from newtonian physics but 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 more as a result of of einstein's uh indications of what happens as we get closer and closer to the speed of light but there are other ramifications of that 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 are applied for what space combat is really all about we've gotten used to the idea that uh you know put your put your deflectors shields on double front and go in full speed ahead and all these kinds of things the reality is In space, full speed ahead means you continually accelerate until you can't do anything because you have no ability to change vector because you don't have enough energy, you don't have enough fuel to change your direction. Right. So there are all these all these kinds of things that every time I watch us, as much as I love Star Wars and I really love Star Wars, I have to remind myself that that is space fantasy, that is space opera, that is not. That's one of the things that I have always drawn the the piece of science fiction on. Uh, is how much does the science drive the fiction? And in this, um, we get a we get a representation of what happens when you really are moving at high rates of speed uh, and in in fleet level engagements uh, where really the most of the damage can be done because small ships can't be can't move fast enough, really to be able to keep up with these larger ships that are moving at point one or closing at each other at point two of the speed of light. Um, and his description at that point of uh... time delay factors uh... the light the, the one of the one of the things that he that he mentions over and over again in the in the first book it was novel in the second book uh... and i'll just i'll just share this for anybody who who chooses to recognize it's a six book arc um, and in the first book it's very interesting and very novel in the second book it it gets a little bit predictable in the third book book i got to a point where it was a little bit tiring and i would move through it very quickly Uh, But his reference all the time to the time lag of, oh, these images are four hours old because the light is finally reaching us from the other side of
0: the solar system. It's, I, in fact, I was just looking up, I'm trying to find uh, a great example of that, and I might not find it fast enough, but it's listening or reading the description of how he is conducting the space battle Mm -hmm. is really, um, that's detailed. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it can get a little tiresome after a while. Scott, what did you think? Uh, Were you were you bored of that after a while, or did you relish the that kind of uh, that kind of tactical detail?
1: Well, I'm still stuck on the Ken uses words thing that you said. That (laughs) threw me. My mind went. He's he's
0: not even here, and he's dominating this conversation. (laughs) Damn you, (laughs) Ken!
1: That's what happens. No, uh, it it could have. I think. and maybe a larger scale, like if this were a Sanderson epic with 300, 500,000 words, but it was so small enough that, that you understood where he was coming from. And therefore it, it didn't get too tedious for me because it, you, you got through those sections and then he'd set up the next engagement or the next uh, peril that they had to overcome. And so I can understand, and maybe when you get into the, the other versions, the other books that it may get that way. But you know, for just reading the the one book, I uh, I did I I found it entertaining the whole way through. I I wasn't too bored of that. It,
0: it it he really eases you into it. So at the beginning of the book, you understand that these are issues, but all they're doing is running away from engagements, and so it's not too it's not too heavy to read right up front. It's in the penultimate chapter when they have their giant space battle mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll read a bit to you mm-hmm. so basically i'm going to read you a little bit this will take only about 20 seconds of your time but if you haven't read the book and you like what <laughs> i'm about to say <laughs> you should read the book okay uh let's see so this is this is the hero blackjack Geary talking all units remain in formation formation fox five five increase down angle by two zero at time three eight Formation Fox Five One, alter course one zero down at time three eight. Adjust formation axis four zero degrees to starboard at time three eight. Maintain velocity of point 0.1 light. If you like that, and Todd is over here about to mess his pants a little bit. Oh, I love it. Then, yeah, like that's what you're in store for. It's that kind of uh, that kind of detail, I guess. But yes.
1: It, it's another interesting fact is I didn't read the book. I listened to it on audiobook. Okay, I Mm -hmm. thought you. I I was about to say, all right, Scott,
0: get out if you didn't read the book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I read the book via audio. Right, and you know it is, and we've all heard great audiobooks, and uh, we we know a good audiobook or even a talented reader makes a huge difference. Oh, sure. And so maybe reading that, my eyes would have glossed over a little bit. I don't know, Um, but. I like I said when it is read to me, I it was I it was different. I don't think. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that
0: makes all the sense in the world. It, it's the difference between uh, getting the right person or the wrong person to play Patton in Patton. Yes, right. That that movie could have been utterly boring and incomprehensible, but they got the right guy to play Patton. Can you imagine Eddie Redmayne playing Patton? <laughs> <laughs> no offense to Eddie Redmayne no, and no, to no, all no. of his fans and but... to all the other beta male actors out there uh, <laughs> but you don't get a beta male to play yeah no, no but it's it makes total sense to me so I didn't glaze over it all I like that stuff a lot but maybe we move on to a new topic
2: um, I, I do just want to mention really quickly he is uh, his name is John G. Henry that the, is, the author you mean the author's name and uh, he is a retired lieutenant commander in the Navy so when you when you talk about naval officers, yes, he's nearly a flag rank officer. so
1: and the audiobook actually has a, a a prologue or a preface that where he talks about his experience. So I knew going in that he's like basically saying, "This is what you're going to get." Yeah, and he was true to his word. So,
0: so what do we think about the? Uh, <laughs> <way>? <laughs> Sorry, I just I can I can I break in real quick, and before we get off the topic of, uh, of ta- tactics and stuff, a lot of the tactics that are going on here. Yes, it it's very reminiscent of naval naval combat, but it's in space, and so there ter- there are. Uh, problems with gravity and relativism and all that stuff. Relativity, I Relativity. guess it's not relativism. It shows what a scientist I am, right? It's okay, we're gonna forgive you. But uh, I did. Did either of you ever watch Breaking Bad? Yes. Um,
2: there's a couple a, of episodes.
0: I a, didn't watch an entire series. Okay. Well, you, the the character of Jesse, I I kept <laughs> I kept having him go through my head because there would be moments when um, he would especially toward the beginning of the book, he'd talk about how, uh, like communication sensors in normal space, they're limited to light speed, which means that they started moving less than three minutes ago, so they've already got the jump on us. And I kept having Jesse from Breaking Bad go through my head, and his voice was going, Science, bitch! (laughs) Sorry. I apologize for the vulgarity, but that's all that would go through my head. It was... The, it was the best accompanying soundtrack I could have imagined you to know, this I, novel. I, I don't think anyone's ever thought of that before. I'm I'm gonna try and read this book with
2: that going I, in the background next time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I loved it. Anyway, okay,
2: what were you what were you gonna say, Todd? So uh, let's let's shift gears a little bit, and and heaven forbid we ever talk about character development on this particular podcast. <gasps> um, what did you think of the uh, of the love triangle that was? Um, that he was attempting to set
0: up. I uh, I think. I Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but in book one, it wasn't even that obvious. No. I think no. having the benefit of uh, reading future books, Todd, you are able to look and say because I until you said that in the intro, it the thought had never even crossed my mind. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, that's not true. I thought maybe him and the co president, but like, yeah, he's he's still thawing out. It's not even a. a on his mind. And he, and he makes reference to
2: that too. Maybe I'm still too cold.
0: Right. <laughs> so and she's thawing out. So I wonder Vemper. if having... <laughs> I wonder if having read the future books in the series, if you're looking at this now going, I know what's in store. So, uh,
2: you know, and 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 perhaps that has a more of a uh, of a powerful impact on me as I as I watch it. But I remember when I was first reading it, I was I was looking at those two characters and the way that he was portraying them sitting on the bridge, gazing at each other, scowling at each other. um, I could I could tell that he was that he was working very hard to make this a. Star-crossed uh, affair, a, a, a sexually charged kind of a situation to see which direction he was going to go, um, be, a, and and making it very much the alpha male and the alpha females in the group. I mean, it's it's very obvious that um, that uh, the sexual politics that were involved on that ship were pretty heavy
0: and and so pretty you're engaged. In the triangle, you're putting Blackjack Geary, pre- co-president. Is it Rione? Rione uh and then uh Captain Dejani? Yes. Okay. Yeah,
2: and because there were there were some obvious other uh, or some other some other characters that could have uh. been inserted.
0: <laughs> but it, so she so she's throughout the book he assumes that Captain Dejani kind of worships him because he's Black Jack Geary, when in reality she's in love with him there's a little bit of both. or yeah that's what i would assume yeah, this this is, a, this is a this is an Aowen type uh, situation yes. going on and
2: and um i think what he's done i th- i think because this book is um so short um you know only 300 pages um remember
0: the <laughs> 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 oh remember what i said about being steeped in fantasy literature well there you go because this, just a tiny little thing. Because this
2: book is only 300 pages long, and it's and it's written on a really big font with lots of letting um, between the lines. Um, I I th- I think when we if we were to compare this to a uh, to a Sanderson book, we probably would have had the first three books in one volume, and we would have seen uh, the development of that of that love triangle. And we would have had more
0: more, more points of view. Yeah, this entire thing is from his point of view, and so actually,
2: I don't know if he's. This is this is my um, this is my only disappointment in in the in the read uh, is that it never moves. We never get a chance to see
0: really for anything from anybody else's perspective. I you know I kind of disagree with that. What do you think, Scott? Did you did you miss the other points of view, or did you like it the way he had
1: it? Well, and this goes back to the whole uh, love affair triangle thing you're talking about. I. I saw it more as a character development for him because he's he's so complex. He's a guy who was frozen for a hundred years. He's he basically a man out of time, and so he comes in. He's still at war, the same way he was, but everything else has changed. And so when he was fighting with the captain, it, to me, it was more like setting up his character, how his style. You know, these guys are so regimented. And he's kind of crazy, and and so how is he going to work through that? So I didn't I didn't even see the connection between those women other than. This is the problem. He's got to get through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he dominates the story. Uh, I but yeah, like you said, it's just it's just a short. You know, it's just it's a single minded story. Yes, it's just got one focus. Yeah. that I thought, and so I it didn't. Just drives I didn't mind it.
0: I didn't mind it at all. Okay. I. It was it was 300 pages, which, you know, if you'd asked me in the eighth grade, that would be a reasonably long book. <laughs> but nowadays, it moved really, really quick. And right. I attribute a lot of that to the fact that I never had to reset my thinking to somebody else's point of view. Sure. Uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, oh, gosh, can we stop talking about Sanderson? No, the answer is no. But how many times do you change points of view in those books? And every time you do... Uh, you have to reorient yourself yes, for yes. A, a page or two before you can get back up to speed mentally. and I think that um one of the things that uh, as i've
2: as I've done more research on on this particular author, I have not read everything that he's written, but I've read quite a bit of it. Um He has uh, two more series where he starts shifting his point of view and starts talking about some of the other characters. okay. and so i th- I think so this is six books of Jack Black Geary's perspective. Six books of just Jack Black. nice. okay. Uh blackjack. Black. Blackjack. <laughs> Did I say Jack Black? You might have. Oh, whatever. I'm sure Jack Black is now going to have his lawyers sue us because I'm sure he listens to the podcast. Um yeah, the the interesting the interesting thing that um that I found in the character development in this first book is that he really does keep it very limited to a single issue, a single character. How do I how do I bring myself up to speed for what all these people are dealing with and and figure out how to fit in? Uh, which I think is, is something that is pretty well universal. M- many of us feel that kind of a, of a situation, even if it's not being out of time. We certainly feel that when we start new jobs, when we start new neighborhoods, when we start uh, when we get married, when we start any kind of a new endeavor, we, that the awkwardness of trying to fit in to establish norms exists for all of us. So I...
0: I I've, Todd, I make the norms. In your brain. Well, yeah, yeah uh, well, but, but also, as keep a, telling yourself <laughs> that, Craig.
1: As a as a plot device, it, it's we don't know anything about the world, and so it's sort of a Jason Bourne. You wake up, you don't know anything. It's just as the character, and so anything that's new to him is new to you. And so it's a. I thought it was a clever way to to bring us into the universe. Yeah, literally. I like and that. it's yeah,
0: it and it's not. You're not bringing a man entirely out of his comfort zone. I mean, he served in this, uh, military a hundred years previously. And so not everything is completely alien. It's just the little things. And that's accurate for us as well. And kind of, like I said, you know, we, we have an idea, at least even if none of us served in the Navy, we have an idea of, oh, this is how a naval battle would operate. And we kind of get these principles. Well, now they're in space. And so it's a little different. And so it's going to take you know those little adjustments, and that's how he does it. That's how he adjusts your mindset is by giving you blackjack geary, yeah. which I think is perfect. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a a weird thing. Speaking of the man at a time, uh, trope. I have this weird mental tick. I I don't know Only if I won. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it a tick. It's it's kind of an exercise that I go through, and it has to do with the founding fathers. Okay. And it's usually around technology, but it's also often about uh, social norms. And I think to myself, what would Benjamin Franklin think of this? What if we got George Washington? And he? And so I think about that often when I, and it helps me retain a sense of wonder when it comes to something uh, that we take for granted, like the national highway system, mm. uh, or e- e- I guess you could have all sorts of stuff, sheetrock <laughs> how crazy is that stuff? Like, that's that's a wonderful technological innovation, you know, from the last, uh, I don't know, how many decades. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, and so I, I think about this sort of thing a lot. Uh, it comes up on my mind a couple times a week, probably what would the founding fathers, I think it's just because like you reach and you reach back a, a couple hundred years and who's there. It's the founding fathers. Right. <laughs> so what, what would they think of my Mazda? You know, uh, that, that sort of we thing. We had that conversation, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, it's, it's, so it's a ton of fun and it was very familiar for me because I'm a freaking weirdo uh but it was very familiar for me to consider what would this person from 100 years ago think cuz you know you think about you know here we sit in the US and a third of our listenership doesn't so sorry guys but uh but we think about the US constitution and and social norms and how they've shifted over the last 200 years and all, all that sort of thing and uh and, and you think gosh what would those founding fathers think now what would they think is amazing what would they think is Incredibly backwards and horrible. And, you know, it, it's a it's a great little exercise, and I loved it in this book. Yeah. I loved Blackjack Erie for that.
1: It's interesting, though, if you were to take someone from the colonial times and put him in today, I think you'd have a much tougher time than if you took someone from today and put him 200 years in the future. I don't know. It's just an opinion. But uh, we can understand interspace travel. We can understand wireless communication. We can understand electronics. We can understand that breaking the yeah. DNA code, whereas they would they wouldn't have a reference point. Uh, so I think it's easier for him being stuck in uh, hibernation for a hundred years versus. I don't know
2: that's one of the things that he one of the things that he references early on is that yes things have changed but not all that much and i wish i could find it directly in the book i I didn't highlight it um i i remembered the few things that i highlighted and we've already talked about them so i'm not going to go back Um, but he talked about how he was looking in the stateroom and the controls were similar but the fine-tuning adjustment points were off um he talked about how the the same technologies that he had been used to were still there but they had been refined they had their their distance capabilities had been improved Uh, and in fact in one place he talks about the fact that the ships were being turned out faster um, and he references their harder edges there was not so much attention paid to detail and then he says well I guess if you've been at war for a hundred years and these are disposable ships you stop worrying about making everything per polished Um, and I, th- I think that, I, you know, I would, I would be interested to see if one of the comments that he's making is, uh, the author is making is when we, when we wind up focusing our efforts, on a competitiveness rather than a cooperative attitude, we, we make certain kinds of advances, but other advances just do not get made. Mm-hmm. Um, whether whether or not that's true or not Um, I did want to ask Craig your opinion on uh, on the way that they because I mentioned it might in my uh, in my intro Uh, what did you think about the differences between the syndics and the Alliance worlds and the way that they
0: approached that oh (laughs) (sighs) okay I don't know I I don't know. I haven't given it enough thought, but I will tell you that I was real nervous when they introduced the uh, they Campbell introduces the president Rion, co-president Rion, and, and so it's obvious that these worlds, the the alliance, the federation of of uh, worlds, is a very tidy little uh, democratic republic from the way he described it. Uh, and then the syndics, even their name, uh, but then also the way they operate, they are a corporation. And <laughs> he, so so I got real nervous that it was gonna turn into an anti-corporate screed. It never did, as far as I could tell. There were moments yeah. when when he descended into that, but to be perfectly fair, he did that with the Alliance as much as anybody else. Um, where he would say, you know, it's it's their their rigid um, kind of corporate nature that has caused uh, this or that problem for them. Um, so it never, my fears never materialized. But I will tell you, I was pretty nervous about it for a yeah. while. What do you think, Scott?
1: Well, you know, I just sort of they're not in it a lot. I mean, as far as the interaction, there's those moments where they communicate, and but then most of what you see from the other side, from the opposing side, is is their tactical moves and how they operated mm-hmm. and things of this nature. So it's 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 really kind of what we were talking about before you're in the big battle room, the war room, and you're pushing ships over here and there. It's, that's the kind of thing you get to know. And, you know, we've all read books like this where the, the other side is not, you know, rational thinking or not, I shouldn't say rational, but the way humans think and process. And so, Sometimes I would just think about well, what I'd almost expected it to be sort of a Orson Scott Card Ender's Game, mm-hmm. uh, you know the the enemy and this thing that you can't understand or these the hive mind I guess you could say. So I, I I didn't think too much about it because really there's not a lot in in there.
2: Yeah, the the beginning of the process when they talk about the syndicate worlds. Um, and, and, of course, then they shorten that to the syndics for the rest of the book. They talk about it. I think they mentioned once or twice the syndicate worlds uh, and what they do and then they and then they uh, do all of the traditional military uh, dehumanization factors we We shorten what they are we don 't talk about them as people we we represent them as the enemy. We,
0: we call them sin dicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust
2: Craig. There we go. We just <laughs> not only do you have to swear, but you have to go there. Now we've now we've lost the PG rating. Um, oh yeah, PG thirteen. I think that was episode
0: four when we <laughs> lost that. <laughs> Did it last that long?
2: Yeah, that's a good. Point. Um, it, the the interesting thing that that I that I found as I uh, have read this, and then as I go back and reread it. Um, is the way for for me at least was the way that he uses terms that we are very comfortable with, but uses them in a way that we are very uncomfortable with. Such as? Well, we would have we would never have talked about a CEO as being uh, quite so. Um, well, maybe let me rephrase this. Maybe in two thousand six we would have been hesitant. Uh, two thousand eight, since the. Since the uh, most recent Great Depression, we're probably much more comfortable talking about our CEOs as being uh, bloodless vampires, totally irrespective of human life. Right. And of sacrificing human life for what they perceive to be their own personal advantageous positions.
0: Eh, Yeah, I yeah, I don't know how much of that I got from this and it could be that it's a six book arc and he's going to explore that more. But I, I saw a lot of promise of that. And then it was more when he talked about the faults of the syndics. Yeah. um, It was, it wasn't, Oh, it's because they're a giant corporation. What a bunch of Walmart douchebags. It was, it was simply, Oh, they've, they have a different set of values than yeah. the alliance does, and both sides have suffered from a sclerotic, bureaucratic nature, and so they've been warped in a different way than we have. But both have. Been but warped. both have right. It's, they just started from different, shall we say, founding principles sure. uh, than than the
2: alliance did. Sure. Right. Um, and it, it's it's interesting as I go back and like I say, as I go back and reread it, I catch little hints. Um, and and you're probably right. Having read more of the having read more of the material, I see what he's doing to seed uh, what Certain he wants ideas. to what yeah. he wants to explore. Speaking of which, there is a seed that he throws out pretty early, um, and and I'm trying to remember where I saw it. But it's when he starts talking about the hypernet and about the idea that
0: it was something that they found. Oh, and then at the end of the book, it's. It's all about. Are there aliens out yes. there? Yes. What did you think?
2: Did you did you look at that and go, "Ah, oh, crap! What a what a device to just make me buy more books?" Or did you go, "Yeah, I kind of saw that one coming, and I'm kind of interested where it's going to go." What was your
0: take? No, Scott, you go first. I talk a lot.
2: We hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. Right. It is your it is your your house where well, that's the true.
1: It, the. To me, I just looked at it more setting up his universe, mm-hmm. um, giving himself more options. Uh, as a writer, you can kind of uh, you want to do that, even if even if this was his only book, um, because it it uh, it creates opportunities for you. Um, I, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't really, it didn't, I didn't really think much of it either way. Okay, just because, yeah, I. I like I said, it's just to me it was just such a single driven, and it was one of those side issues that you really didn't uh, contribute to the story. I mean, he could have left that out and it would have been fine. But yeah, I, I
0: think that's a I think that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, giving himself options because he really, by the end of the book, he said, "Oh, there might be aliens out there." How interesting. They broke into the Caliban systems uh, mining structures and they stole all the data or whatever it was that they were doing. Uh and then he but he keeps backpedaling and saying, "You know, it was probably just pirates or something. Somebody's searching for something. It probably wasn't aliens." And I I like that a lot because then like you say, it gives him options. In the next book he can write in aliens and go, "You know, after that first draft, those aliens they really" detracted from the story. I'm just going to rip him out and make them space pirates. And and, <laughs> and he has that option. I think that's a fantastic way to do it. He's probably going to put aliens in the series, which is really too bad. I think it would be <laughs> much more interesting if it were just humans. Um, just because you know, th- this was a very okay, a horrible phrase to use for this book, but it was very down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was... Uh, Very ironic of you. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. But it was... Uh, How long it, have you been waiting to say that? <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't, like you said, Todd, this is not space opera. Uh, and because it's not space opera, I'm not as interested in in this or that alien species because in any sort of fantasy or space opera, or whatever you want to call it, what an alien species ends up doing, invariably... Is reflecting some aspect of human nature, mm-hmm. and he does enough of that without them sure. that I don't need them in there. Sure, right. Speaking of which, Scott, you brought up Ender's Game a few minutes ago. I did. Um, I wanted to talk about leadership. That was, I think, the ultimate theme of this book, um, for me at least. Okay, I, I would I'm, see that. I'm not going to argue if somebody else wants to. Uh, say that it was something else for them, but uh, I I read Ender's Game probably in like seventh or eighth grade, and I remember thinking just like, wow, what a a great treatise on how leadership works and everything. And looking back now, I can see it's a great, it's an amazing book, and it has some really great things to say about leadership, but it's not too terribly realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, This book, on the other hand, I feel like does the it does the boardroom better. In fact, the Star Wars reference that I kept thinking of wasn't the Rebels around the uh, mm-hmm. the Death Star plans. It was the Imperial boardroom on the Death Star. No, oh. not the Senate. Okay. It's when it's when you've got the one guy, was it... Uh, du- uh, Tag. No, 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 no. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's his first name. The, the uh, Dulos. Dulos. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the guy who's sitting at the table, going, "This station is now the ultimate power in the universe," and and then you've got uh, Blackjack Erie, who is trying really hard to rein these people in and help them understand, no, tactics matter. Uh, we can't just take the Death Star to whatever system we want, and it, you know, and it is
1: well, I- indestructible
0: and and the ultimate power. You know, we have to use it wisely. That's what it reminded me of more than anything. And so there, there's this whole book of Blackjack Geary trying to assert authority retain authority and then juggle his subordinates so that uh, so that his authority matters
1: and, and he does it with a backdrop of, of fiction a fictional character because no matter how good he was a hundred years ago he's not that guy and he had no control over his his image while he was asleep and so he's faced with these these thoughts and these the the people what they think of him as this hero and he may not be that person so Campbell does a really good job of giving us an interesting character right off the bat who who could be larger than life but he doesn't even know if he's larger than life in his own mind and so he's got to just do what the only thing he knows and that's Take control of the, the thing because nobody else knows what they're doing. It seems and so right, yeah. Um,
2: which which brings me to a piece that I did highlight and I did identify um, the piece right at the beginning when they when they're trying to make their run out of uh, the syndic homes system. Yeah, and he looks up in the fleet and finds, oh yeah, there's another Geary, a Michael Geary in the fleet. Um, and the part where he says, um, and this is on, in, my, in my version, this is in, on page 52. Um, uh, all, of the event, all of the options come down to the same thing, and you know it. Well, I'm going to do you a big favor, great Uncle Blackjack. I'm going to save you the trouble of choosing who dies. Repulse is close to the line between the closing Syndic ships and Titan. My ship's well-positioned for this action, and she's got the necessary power. She's also got damaged main drives that I've been pushing too hard um, so uh, she couldn't keep up with the fleet regardless. Feel better that he doesn't have to make this choice of who to send to die because somebody has to. Um, this idea that here's a guy who's been living in the shadow of Blackjack Geary his entire life. And now he gets the chance to meet the man. And he says, he says one other thing that's really interesting when he says, um, when you meet my sister, tell her I don't hate you anymore. Um, we, get, we get some glimpses into, uh, into some very real human themes of what is it that, what is it that you sacrifice uh, or what is it that you need to sacrifice to be in command and what is it that you have to be ready to do to be able to live up to the command decisions that are required. Um, I liked that. For me, that was one of the pieces that I, that I liked um, in, in relation to the idea of leadership what is it going to cost him on a human level to be able to make this work? And maybe that's one of the reasons why early on I saw that relationship between, or that relationship triangle between co president Rion, Captain Dejani, and Blackjack Geary as being so pivotal because it, it, it looks very much, it's set up very much from a situation that he says, you know what, in order to be successful as a commander, I cannot be a human being. I have to let some of that go and I have to stop feeling. In order to make sure I can get all of these people home.
0: Yeah. And it's it's a common you can you can bring that down to your mid-level manager at sure. a at a medium-sized company anywhere in the world. And it's kind of a similar issue where it's a common understanding that when you become the boss, you're no longer the friend. Yep. Right? You can't in order to be effective as a boss, you can't be a peer anymore. And it's a it's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, um, and so they end up failing as managers because they need to they need to be liked, they need to be loved, even by those who are are supposed to be following them. When in reality, what's most important is that they have a vision and that they get people to follow it. Yep. Yeah, right.
1: it's it's very high level. It's the general knowing that he's got to take that hill, and so he's gonna he's gonna lose twenty thousand kids. He knows that, but he has to do it because that is more important. Because he knows if he doesn't get it, they'll lose fifty thousand. And so, yeah, it's like you said, uh, some of those uh, fantasy stories. You're not dealing with the higher level. You're dealing with the skirmishes. You're dealing with the the person with the swords. You're not. You're not in control of the armies, as it were, but
2: and for me, of course, that that leads to more of a level three discussion. It's not certain. It's certainly not uh, heavy-handed. It's not. I don't know that it was necessarily part of his intention uh, to to really be a, a treatise about how to lead, how to conduct yourself as a leader. But I certainly saw a lot of you know what we call level three stuff in this book as a result of that. Um, I did want to ask one more question and then I guess we're at the point of, of asking final thoughts. Uh, what did you think about the Marines that were <laughs> connected to the, to this group?
0: I loved that. <laughs> I loved it. It's, um, I, they're, they're Marines in this book now in real world terms. Yeah. You could actually put the Marines in there, uh, or you could just call them the army I suppose, but, uh, the non-sailing military unit that is, boy, they are just no-nonsense and unimaginative, and they get the job done, right? I love it. I, I really like that. I, I don't mean unimaginative as a pejorative here. No, no. Uh, they they have a job, and they do it. They are Simple the, as that. They are the bridge runners.
1: Exactly. There you go. I, I think if you were a military person, I think in probably in any branch, you would read this book and see things that those of us who haven't served in a military setting would. You would just look at that and you know exactly what's going on. You know, you've because you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is human nature stuff, and the fact that it's in space in the future versus in the South China Sea in World War II it doesn't make that much of a difference. Um, you know, this guy he's obviously had to deal with that. I think that's probably something he saw firsthand.
2: One of the things that I, uh, two of the things actually that came to my mind as I was reading through this um, the first time and again as I'm coming through it again. The first one was uh, when he says he, he came out of his stateroom and there was a Marine standing at full attention and snapped him a salute. And he said, Yeah, I guess if anyone was going to hold on to the old ways, it would be the Marines. Heck um, yeah. and, and there is, having, having known several Marines in my lifetime, all of whom I would salute and, and say thank you very much, um, they are that way. They, they still remember. Uh, in fact, I was talking to one of them, and he said, I can tell you, he said, do you know why our coats are trimmed in red? And I said, I have no idea. And he knew from the 1st Marine Battalion as to how that was set up and why it was set up. They are steeped so deeply in tradition. Uh, they are you going to clue
0: us in? Is it to remind them of, the, them of the blood of their comrades or something like it that? It was not
2: the blood of their comrades. It was because they did not have uniforms of their own so they took the red coats and turned them oh, inside nice. out. And, and on a the, little bit of edge came through. In the inside of those coats, they were dark. They were, they were dark blue, but the edges were still seen to be red. Nice. I, I some fascinating things that, that, uh, that go on with the history of that. But the other thing that I couldn't help thinking of was how similar he described the on-ship relationships between the sailors and the Marines, as did... Um, uh, as we heard in Starship Troopers, um, the uh, a very similar, a very consistent. The, the book, not the movie. The book, not the movie. Yeah, sorry, Scott. Just in case you didn't know, <laughs> there's a difference between the book and the movie. So I've heard, kind <laughs> yeah. of like
1: Planet Z, right?
2: <laughs> oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I don't think we even want to talk to you anymore. Um, anyway, it was it was it was consistent. It was interesting, and of course, not necessarily surprising. That both of these individuals who are military bred, military trained, chose to keep that piece uh, and, and chose to chose to indicate if there's anybody that's going to hold on to decorum and to properness, it's going to be the Marines. It was fascinating.
0: Um, all right. So we've got about 10 minutes tops to play around with. And so I wanted to do a little some quick fire stuff. I've got plenty more things that I could go through. But uh, here's one. Uh, there's a, a bit when they're talking about the the potential danger. There's the shuttles full of supplies, oh, and they're yeah, being yeah. A- accompanied by the uh, by the the Suicide Squads, basically, of uh, these Syndic Marines who are coming to uh, to kill them all. And uh, and they're worried about well, how could they have rigged these ships to explode? Might they have a dead man switch? And he says, well, or whoever it is talking to him says they could have actually rigged it so that if their hearts stopped or if they got too far away, it would trigger an explosion. And he says, I see that's an advance over what was available in my time, though. I wouldn't call it an improvement. <laughs> and it's, I, I really like finding those little quotes in there. And there was another one, uh, a little earlier, uh, oh gosh, let me find it very, very quickly. He says, that's an explanation but it's not an excuse. And that's, that's one that I've loved a lot. So like, like correlation is not causation. Reasons are not excuses. Our advances are not improvements. Um, and I, it made me wonder when I read that line at finally, I started putting all these things together and I wondered how much of wisdom is learning how not to conflate related concepts. Hmm understanding that just because, okay, so we want to move, we want to improve as human beings, both as individuals and as communities or societies. And so we, because of this desire to improve, we think that means we must constantly be moving. Uh, But if you're moving in the wrong direction, just because you're advancing does not mean you are improving, right? Anyway, little tidbits like that. I, lo- I like the quotes. Uh, okay, so let's move on to something else.
1: Uh, Scott, you got anything else you want to bring up with this no, book? No, no, you, uh, you just reminded me of Serenity. Oh, I was about to bring up Firefly. Ah, You're kidding me. No. Well, but one thing that I've thought about while I've listened to you two talk um, is that uh, for such a short book, it, it reminded me of so many different things. It reminded me of... Uh, the Battle of Midway, the movie. It reminded mm-hmm. me of Battlestar Galactica, this ragtag moving them across the universe and taking care of the damaged ship to get it to wherever it needed to go. It reminded me of, um, like I said, Ender's Game a little bit. It reminded me of just a lot of different uh, things because he's taken a very, I mean, in this day and age where nothing is original, I thought it was a very original concept. And But he did, he basically did what Heinle did in Starship Troopers, except he did it to the to the Navy side of it versus, say, the foot shoulder.
2: Yeah, to the mobile infantry, yeah. the Marines.
1: So it uh, it reminded me of a lot of classic stories, which, you know, it, it was a great read. Anything that could do that.
0: So what were you going to bring up about
1: Firefly? Um, Just that, so this was published
0: in 2006, and so I'm assuming he would have started the writing process for this series around, say, 2002, (laughs) 2003, (laughs) when Firefly came out. And I just noticed it a little bit because he uh, makes a big deal out of ancestor worship in this book. Yeah. And it made me think, oh, I wonder if he took a cue from Firefly where when we go to space, there's a huge... Uh, and violent mixing of east and west uh, as the earth moves into space, right? And so mm-hmm. in, in Firefly, that's reflected a lot in the language they use. Uh, all their curses are in Chinese, right? <laughs> uh, but in this, it's uh, you can see that the syndics, some of the syndics still hold to a Catholic tradition. They cross themselves at the end of the book. Yes. Uh, but on the Alliance side, uh, there has been, it appears some sort of of, uh, religious melding and so now these uh, the living stars are our ancestors the living stars the ancestors etc etc yeah Yeah. so anyway I just thought maybe there was a little Firefly connection there and heaven knows anybody who likes Firefly loves to see those little connections back to Firefly (laughs) well he did say that things were shiny an awful lot as we moved through the (laughs) books there you go all right, final thoughts, Craig. What'd you think? You oh recommend gosh. it? Um, oh, absolutely. I I recommend it to anybody who found that passage that I read to be interesting. Um, I don't. It's so hard. I I think it requires a certain maturity and an interest in history mm-hmm. and military tactics to uh, to enjoy. I'm not going to pretend that I understood everything, but I I think I'm. Uh, pardon me, Todd. I think I'm old enough that uh, that I can enjoy a book like this that kind of has its head um, in the clouds a little bit versus like we talked about, you know, it, it's not about the individual foot soldier. It's about the entire army,
2: right? I think you're old enough to appreciate that. Oh,
0: thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, how about uh, you? Oh, sorry. You, no, you no, no. I, I have one more. I have one more, but sure. I, I want to hear what Scott has
1: to say. Well, um, you know, towards that end... The I just had I just had lost my train of thought. So please continue. Do you do you recommend the book? Yes, I do. Uh, oh, now I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> it it I, I blogged about this actually um, if, after I read it, and what I said: if you like military books and and those type of things, you're going to like this book. But I think and I think you would even if you like to read, say, World War II battles in the Pacific. But I think if you enjoy the having the the extra concept of science fiction to back it up because I loved how he how he translated basically his knowledge into space and how he had to invent things and, and I love the time mm-hmm. delays on the oh they're only three seconds behind so actually that's happening that happened six seconds ago so we have and he and he went into great detail about that so I think if you do like science fiction and you have an interest in those type of uh, military tactics I, I think it's a perfect combination of those two
0: um my my final thought I guess on this book would be I began to understand now a little bit better what Heinlein's critics had to say about Starship Troopers mm-hmm. and his uh his militaristic nature and I think part of the problem is I don't know if it was his problem or their problem but there is a problem when you start to extrapolate military virtue onto society, mm-hmm. right, or into society. And there's a, there's a big deal made in this book about uh, etiquette and protocol, to use a phrase that we all know well. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of the traditional rules of etiquette, mm-hmm. um, but w- you know, whatever they may be, uh, here in, in Western society at least. I, I really think that etiquette is the lubrication that keeps society moving smoothly. Uh, Anyway, and we can see it now in our own world. We can see it breaking down these days uh, with arguable consequences. Uh, I don't really want to get into those now. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've only got about two minutes left of the podcast, I think. But even even with how strongly I feel about the issue, I'm not sure where to draw the line between looseness and rigidity. Sure. Because if you're too loose, if you don't respect your elders, if you don't hold doors open for people coming behind you, if you you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's those little things that, that keep a society uh, cohesive. But on the other side of it, if you get too rigid, then you get into militaristic and fascistic territory. And I think he... It, it just I'm not saying that he had a ton to say about it in this book, but it, it sure made me think about it a lot. And i it made me think back to Heinlein again and those issues that he had, had brought up in that book. And what, um, oh gosh, and now I'm blanking on the director's name, uh, Paul Verhoeven, Verhoeven had to say in the movie because that, that's basically what his commentary was. <sighs> And uh, anyway, a horrible thing, but, but it's, uh, but it's an interesting topic to think about. And what, uh, what place does etiquette have in society outside the military and how closely are you going to follow it personally in order to keep your relationships cohesive? That's a great level three insight. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> you,
2: Science. yeah <you>, b- <laughs> you You so often scoff at my level three no, I do not I love this stuff <laughs> um and of course if if uh, as we as we are on final thoughts my my obvious recommendation is that it's worth it's worth the time to read it uh, made me read it at least the first time <laughs> um i I can see i can uh I can offer as a as an insight um that there are pla- there there is there is a point at which uh, even for someone who enjoys all of the things about this book that I did and I and I do, um, you, you probably you probably want to give yourself a little bit of time in between some of the readings, because there comes a point where all of the battles start bleeding together and you stop <laughs> you stop having clarity about how cool some of those tactical things are and what they would look like uh, from the position. One of the things that I loved uh, about this book was when he said. Uh, and he said it a couple of different times. He said they would just turn it all over to the computers now, because they would be moving at speeds so fast, no human being could make the tactics work. Um, and and when I first heard that, I remembered thinking to myself, I wonder how fast it needs to be before we feel. Like we lose our humanity in conjunction with different pieces.
0: Are you talking about technology? And it's like talking about technology, the rate of the rate of increase. Um,
2: f- for us, yes. Um, obviously, for the book, no. For the book, it's it's more about turning the the responsibility of of taking life uh, over to an automatic and in- uh, into an artificial intelligence that then fires everything at the exactly precise moment because only a computer can know when that moment is. Um, but for us, I, f- I, I found myself thinking very much, um, at what point do I say that I've turned things over to a computer to run? Um, and, it, and it made me think very much that there are certain things that should never be turned over to a computer even when life moves too fast. So for me, that was one of those moments where I pulled it away and I said, hmm, that's a, that's a piece that I'm going to save for myself. Yeah. here, here.
0: Anyway, there you go. Uh, so Dauntless by Jack Campbell. Um, if you've listened to this entire discussion, for heaven's sake, if you haven't read the entire book, go out and read it. Um, it's really, really great. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. Perhaps we'll read the rest of the series one day, but it's not necessarily on our docket at the moment. Uh, if enough of you write in and tell us that we should do it, uh, then
1: maybe we will. Uh, all right, Scott. Yes. How was your time here for the last hour? Loved it. Good. Loved it. It, The cursing, though, it was... uh, It's
0: just out of bounds. A little much. It's (laughs) language. (laughs) No, thanks for coming, Scott. Uh, (laughs) And if you'd like to hear more of Scott, just uh, go ahead and shoot us a message on Facebook, or you can email us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com and beg for more, Scott. (laughs) I know we all will. Uh, alright so let's call it patreon.com slash legendarium go support the show there head to facebook search us out there go to the legendariumpodcast.com and check out our archives and we will see you all next week for the continuation of our discussion on the fires of heaven book 5 of the wheel of time Whew, that's a long series alright it's only about a third of the way through right I know all right i'm actually really enjoying it i'm really enjoying it it's just amazing how long that series is uh so we will enjoy that discussion next week and we'll see you all then have a good one everybody